Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 53. We got a loaded episode. Um, same exact format as we had last time with Ars Blog. So it's just me and Matt for most of this episode. We were joined by John Solano. But first, Matt, got to talk about some of the Champions League matchups. I mean, look, Barcelona, Manchester City, massive disappointments again. Let's start with Barcelona because Leo Messi's up in the air. It's been reported by the same reporter that had Neymar leaving Barcelona first that Messi has asked to leave this summer opposed to next. Like, is this a rash decision by him? Do you expect him to leave? I mean, what do you make of that eight to two before it? Like it was, they were out class mm. from the start. And anybody that watched that, that was, that was very reminiscent of Brazil losing seven to one. It didn't look like Barca had any fight in them. They didn't even, I mean, one of the goals was just simply David Alaba goal, and you could just tell by the body language with Bayern. Alaba was laughing after he scored that own goal. That usually doesn't happen in a quarterfinal match. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you knew mm-hmm. Bayern was just on a different level uh, mentally and obviously on, on the pitch as well. It's I mean, give me your takeaway. Yeah, there was some, uh, you know, not only just the, the scoreline, because I think that most people thought that Bayern, including us, were going to going to win this one. They were the favorites. They were going to handle Barcelona, a Barcelona team that, uh, despite beating Napoli, um, despite getting to this position of the Champions League, really was a team in, in disarray, dysfunction, not quite sharp, not quite the dominant type Barcelona where you would expect them to maybe make a deep run and win this entire thing. I think... A a heavy defeat was inevitable. Now, by heavy, I didn't mean I didn't think seven, eight, two. I I didn't think this. I I think it was the most goals they gave up in a single game since like nineteen forty-six. Very, a very eye-opening, eye-opening defeat. And I think it's telling because I think when you look at the entire performance, it's not just the goals, right? Because you know Bayern Munich are a team that even if you're a very good team, they could score on you. They could put up numbers, and then you got to respect the fact that they can attack. At will and, and they can put up you know uh, uh, big numbers with Lewandowski, Naabri, uh, Ivan Perisic, you know so on and so forth. But you know some of the mistakes, some of the errors that Barcelona were making, like Nelson Semedo. I mean, losing the ball in, in midfield and then not even tracking the guy back and getting into a position to defend. Just a lot of elementary issues, and you can tell that the team is just kind of has crumbled. The, the team is not together, not they're not unified, and it was pretty much much of the same, right? You know, you know, looking to Messi or you know, it having it, it having to be a Messi magic type day for them to do anything remotely special or anything remotely close or anything anything enough to 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 advance past this position, and they just got dealt again a heavy defeat. Setien sacked. Ronald Coleman looks like he's going to be the manager, and already that's. Of a possible appointment that has a lot of people scratching their heads, and just and maybe it's more 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 over the same for Barcelona. I think the biggest image was one that was circulating in the post in the post game um, of Messi with like with like his head down in like the changing room, just like looking just absolutely defeated, physically, mm. mentally, like beaten up. Like this is Argentina, Barcelona. Messi. He's yeah, it's it's you know it's him, it's PK, Busquets. Like those are those were three like, the last core guys of the dynasty that was, you know, that they previously put together. And, and to see that, I think it was really telling. And to me, it seems that, you know, it's a real possibility that he does leave because on one end, you think that he is Barcelona for life. But on the other end, when you saw what Ronaldo did leaving Real Madrid to go to Juve, that you think that, you know, no player is, 
you know going to could is is automatically default committed and a, a one club player you know and i think even even with messi i think if this was if there was any time for him to leave it would be now yeah um look it's it's really kind of sad to see at the end of the day what this has really transpired to because as you were mentioning the way you kind of just spoke about it is that this is the end potentially of one of the greatest relationships in sports history between player and club like this there really isn't like when you take into account of the whole history and background story of Leo Messi him not being at Barcelona would just it honestly would be the most stunning thing that I could think of but again you go back and you look at it and you see everything that has happened over recent years and everyone knows it everyone constantly saying it, even before they lost this match they're in danger of being the next Manchester United the next AC Milan and you get that vibe that when he's not doing anything that's kind of what they're like and we got a taste of it when he was missing those games and this is something we've covered and talked about on this podcast for extended periods of time right um multiple guests you pet and I all agree on it like the writing's been on the wall and now the next step is elections, Ronald Coleman coming in. And if I'm messy, why would you want to give up these last few decent years? So we, we got to move on because we don't have much time. And the, and, um, the interview with John Solano was great on Roma's sale, which was finalized. So congratulations to them. But we have to stick to Manchester City, Matt. Uh, another deport- disappointing exit, a very disappointing season for Pep Guardiola and company. And, you know, the defensive issues in this team is just, I mean, it's glaring. and Appalling, right? And honestly, for a team that has the expectations that it wants to set for itself, they have to do something and something now. They, they got away with that appeal ban. They're going to be back in the Champions League. I, like, I mean, even would you – they're probably going to have to overspend for a player now. This gives a team like Napoli and Koulibaly uh, some leverage. I mean, City is just a, it's a strange one, right? Because I think even when, when they got the, the draw, they, they got matched with Lyon, they're thinking this is City's year, right? I think, you know, they, they should be able to take care of Lyon, a Lyon team that by all intents and purposes were probably uh, gifted uh, a berth in this part of the tournament with the way that Juventus played, right? I think Juventus, again, as we mentioned in the previous episode, uh, lost that match against Leon more than Leon beat beat Juve. And look, when I look at the city team, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really odd to me because I think there's obvious talent. There's no doubt about it. You know, Kevin DeBruyne is probably a top three, top four, maybe top five, top five player at the worst. Um, and he's a very special player, no doubt. Um, and you look at some of the players they have, like Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Aguero, and, you know, in the back, they spent a ton of money on their fullbacks, you know, a quite, a fit, quite a bit in, in the central defense. You know, the Ederson has been a, a pretty steady goalkeeper for them. They spent quite a bit on him, too. And here come Leon, just, like, like bringing it to him. And, and, and all credit to them. And I think this is a perfect example of why you have to play, why you have to show up, right? And I think it's, sometimes it's a very difficult thing. And that's a, a really, a, I guess, a true sign of what someone's character is with as a as a as a club with city specifically in that like if in one game elimination format like you have to bring your best on every given 
given day, right? You know, especially when it's 90 minutes, it's not, you know, you trying to go for a, one approach in the first leg and then adjusting in the second. Like, you can be humbled quickly and in an instant you can be out. And that's something that I kind of more or less like about the single game elimination format that, you know, you and I as, as Americans here, you know, we've seen many times with, with, with the National Football League, right? How certain teams March like – in March Madness, like that one game elimination, like if anything goes and, and all credit to Lyon. I mean, I was looking at, you know, some of the, some of the parts of this match and City looked just absolutely just all out of place defensively. Um, Moussa Dembele got two goals. And I think the first goal for, for uh, Lyon, I think it was by Cornet, if I'm correct, that like really kind of like rattled City mentally. And it's an uncharacteristic of a team coached by Pep Guardiola. So, all in all, all credit to Lyon. I think we have two German teams and two French teams in the semifinals of the Champions League. Um, Leipzig, we have obviously Lyon, we have Bayern Munich, we have PSG. So it's going to be fascinating. Some underdog possible, uh, underdog stories, on some Cinderella stories could be in the works with some of these clubs. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange strange time for City too because you're looking at them as, as a team that's like at some point like you got to be able to deliver in the Champions League. And I think their record in the quarterfinals, if not being able to get past this point, is a real sign of of weakness. Because I think it's you got to get over the hump. You got you got to be able to show that like you can get past this. It's point. It's just the way they're doing it too, like the stroke. yeah. It's just the way. It's not uh, like they're coming up against a team that it's just uh, it's the it's for whatever thing is they're looking at the quarter the quarterfinal. They're choking. The, they're, they're choking. choking. And, and they can't get it done. And you, you wonder what's going to happen next. Is that more money to be spent? Is that, is that going to solve anything? I mean, they already got Nathan Aki who's coming in for the central defense um, and for the defensive area. That should help. Is he a player that's going to really elevate them to the next level? I don't believe so. In my opinion, I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think he's a player that's going to move the needle quite a bit. And then you got Ferran Torres from Valencia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a winger, an outside midfielder that sh- should help them in terms of their domestic objectives, but how much do you really think that's going to put them over the edge to be a team that's going to be in a position next year to hoist the Champions League title, which has been something they've won for so many years. So, yeah, a a hard round for Barcelona and City fans to to take for sure because I think these performances were just way below standard and way below grade for what they expect. It really is, and I I just keep thinking to myself after a certain point that Pep has dominated domestically, right? This isn't even, like, up for debate anymore um, for Manchester City and just him as a coach in general, right? It it just seems like he – and it's not that I'm not calling him overrated, and he, he is one of the greatest coaches of his generation. It can't be disputed. The guy's won a couple Champions League, won trophies everywhere he's gone. But at a certain point, it just feels like after such a long gap between the last Champions League and two clubs now, it feels like that pressure might be getting to him too. And I can only imagine how much longer he's going to be lasting at Manchester. Like, if they can't figure this out for the both of them, I think at a certain point, City says, maybe we have to go in a different direction. Uh, Because they're investing a ton of money in defensive players, but they they only made one semifinal. And And it's just something that... Is clearly escaping them. You've seen Chelsea won it last decade. Liverpool has won it, right? They went to the final twice. And now Liverpool won the league by an exorbitant amount of points. It's just, to me, it's 
kind of the ascent, there's a sense that the window is closing slightly, even though their core is pretty young. Like Aguero's got how many more years left here, right? You saw Vincent Company leave as well. There kind of needs to be David Silva too. David Silva, yes, you're right. Signed for Sociedad. I mean, there's just there's just a lot more question marks about Manchester City than I think a lot of people would like to admit at this point in time. And I think I, I don't I don't know how much longer it's truly going to last with Pep. There. Do you do you see there do you see there being a, a huge shift over the next couple of years with I guess the the the, the crop of of t- elite teams. Mm. Kind of having a stronghold or somewhat of an upper hand in this tournament. So, so let me let me rephrase. I guess let me give you a little more sure. information on what I what I actually mean. So, for all these years, we always thought like Barca, Real, Bayern, and whoever. Like those top four teams are the teams that when you look at the Champions League contestants every year, those are the four teams you're like those are my yeah. four favorites. Sure. Do you see? maybe Juventus being a team that takes a step back and they're not maybe a, t- a favorite or a team that maybe kind of, you know, falls into the next category of where you know, they're a team like that go into the They need to catch fire. Do you think there's like a select few, like well, who would you put as like your top three? Top to top You're like top tier teams, you know, from now heading forward. I mean, Bayern Munich, Bayern I think in my opinion would be one. You know, with Sané coming in the fold, the attack they have, the players that they're always constantly mm. able to bring in. You know, like how many really truly elite teams that you feel confident looking at, like these, this team can win it? Because I think right now Barcelona is such a huge downfall. No, I think I obviously Real Madrid, you know, despite bowing out, I think they're heading in a really good direction. I think Hazard needs to, needs to prove to me that he could be the best player on a Champions League team because yeah. I'm not convinced he is. I just, really just, only like... Two, two teams, I think it's Bayern. I think it's teams that feel like strong, honestly. I think like Dortmund. Really I think Dortmund. Teams. I think Dortmund will be in the top five if Sancho doesn't leave. Like I think Dortmund could be that dangerous potentially. I know they have to figure out the Hakimi, you know, sale. But look, I don't know. You're you're right, man. This is this kind of reminds me. The of landscape like, is shifting a bit. It is. It is shifting. And when you see other clubs like Inter starting to get their act together, you know, like that's that's a serious thing. And then Juve put up such a you know wild card as a manager and to expect mm-hmm. them to like you know go out and win the champions league and do great domestically i it's i it's it's really um it's really crazy to see weird a shift in uh, it's a really a different shift here in in in, in at this time of football and i think that's really going to be something to really look at you know moving forward with the markets um with certain teams certain big stars you know, like we saw, we saw Ronaldo leave and the kind of the effects of it had on Real Madrid. And they've been able to pick some things up. And, you know, they won the league title. They bowed out earlier than normal in the Champions League. But you feel like they're still a team that's still going to be, you know, in that thick of things next year. But, I mean, on the, on the top, there's only really only three to four teams that I can look at, you know, in the top five leagues and think, like, these teams are dominant. I don't trust PSG. Atletico Madrid look very vulnerable. They're a team that can defend, but they they just seem to they got they got humbled by Leipzig, a younger team, a fresher team with different ideas. Like they're further. I think that feels like it's kind of the shift now. It feels like those teams of old where where everyone's like the mighty Real Madrid or the mighty you know Atletico Madrid. Like there's a shift where there's maybe a couple handful of teams, but maybe the field is opening up a little bit for some of these teams and for new ideas and for new routes to be paved to become a champion because as we're seeing Leipzig like a good impressive performance a lot of young players you know the the landscape the whole shift and I think that's what we really saw um 
in this round of the tournament specifically. And the, really the past couple rounds, you know, since the restart is that the dynamic is, is, is very, very much uh, evolving and, and, and changing unlike previous years. And I think that's really interesting and fun time. Um, it, it, excuse me. It's a really fun time to be involved in the sport and to uh, cover it because I think we're, we're in for a new, maybe some new era, a new era of, of different teams that can break in and, and really show the wider world of football, what they're capable of doing. Yeah. Um, it's, re- it's really going to be exciting to see what happens in the landscape of football, especially with a, with a market like this. But Matt, we obviously have to get to a great interview that you and I both had with John Solano of AS Roma Press, um, breaking the sale of Dan Freakin. We talked about the outlook for Roma, the whole situation with ownership going on that was finalized this week. So you guys can go listen to that right after this message that we have to give you. Obviously we are sponsored by the athletic. It's a subscription based sports news site, delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters, as you know, and love Dave Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and more. The athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing for 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around. Go to theathletic.co.uk slash SOP, obviously standing for State of Play Podcast, two forty nine dollars a month. If you go there for the annual deal, um, I bought some ginger ale this weekend, so that's what I uh, put towards um, my money that would go towards The Athletic as well. Uh, what did you spend it on, man? I actually went out with some friends, bought, some, bought a couple of drinks, had a nice meal. So, yeah, I pretty much – my meal was some seafood, so that got pretty much covered probably a year's worth of uh, of athletic content. But um, yeah, it's a no-brainer, guys. Uh, as I've been mentioned on the previous episodes, you're getting not only football coverage, which is top of the line, the best in the business, in my opinion. You're also getting um, more with the Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL's coming up in, what, I think four weeks. So really get really good bang for your buck. And if you sign that up through us, you're getting a, a really, really good deal at 40, at 40% off. Um, make sure you guys sign up. Thank you to the athletic for supporting us. And yeah, I, I definitely do encourage you guys to, um, you know, join the athletic wave here because I think they're at the head and the forefront of uh, football media. Yeah, there is. It's amazing to always see every time I, I try and explain to people athletic UK is massive, uh, especially, um, compared to, um, some, some of the stuff that we get, get over here. I mean, they are just for, for something that's a relatively new website, The Athletic does an amazing job, and that's why we're happy to be sponsored by him, and that's why we're happy to bring you um, that message as well. So let's listen on in to the interview Matt and I have with John Solano. All right, everybody, episode 53 of the State of Play podcast. As we alluded to, we have a very big guest today joining myself and Matt uh, is John Solano, editor of Roma Press, um, friend of the program, fellow American sports fan, uh, Cleveland, um, longtime sufferer over there. At least he got the one title. I sympathize with him often for the teams that I root for. Uh, Matt's been kind of lucky, but I guess football, football with the Vikings is kind of miserable. But anyways, um, John, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to finally be doing this with you guys. 
Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. this has been a long time coming too. I think this has been in the works for we've 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 known each other for a while on on social media, and then they kind of cross paths at some points. But from from a distance, you know, I've been following obviously the AS Roma Press, and you know what you guys have been doing the Serie A show, which is the podcast that you guys have um, aside from your Roma, you know, Roma ideas and things like that. But yeah, it's great to have you on for for fifty three here, and um, especially following a couple episodes previously where we had Bonetti. So to keep that Calcio vision going it's it's definitely a good episode that we're uh, we have here for our listeners yeah i'm excited it's uh it's a busy time at aromas i'm sure we'll mm. get into uh yeah i mean look it's it's never a dull moment with that club um anyone that just follows seria let alone roma would know this and obviously there's no one better in my opinion that um speaks both italian and english to get um so I'm very excited to have you on here. My family members are uh, Roma fans, so they, uh, they're they struggling and, and they want good news, so hopefully we'll get to it. <laughs> but anyways, it was a pretty, it's a pretty um, decent season for Roma. I, I think all things um, included, when you consider everything that happened, new manager in here, uh, more players leaving in the summer, uh, players incoming, this Agnolo injury, and, and they managed to finish fifth and go back to the Europa League. They might have not have progressed as far as they might have wanted to. They stumbled a little bit at one point. You thought that they maybe would fall uh, to seventh or even out of Europa, but they rallied towards the end of the season. Zaniolo made a great return. It's great to see him healthy, the best Italian talent around uh, for my money. And honestly, I, th- I think in-, in general, it was a successful uh, season for Roma. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think – Listen, this is a club that is so dependent upon revenue. Obviously, with new ownership coming in, probably we'll have to adjust our mindset, at least to a certain degree. But I do think all things considered, it is a relatively successful season just because um, had Roma finished in the Champions League place, uh, Palotta probably wouldn't have felt the level of urgency to obviously you have to sell the club but yeah I I think listen new manager whether they want to admit it or not I I refuse to believe that for the entire year hearing about the change of ownership that that doesn't have at least some level of effect on the pitch I don't care what the directors say Fienga Petraki before he got the can Baldissoni even Fonseca himself I think that did affect the season negatively, but I think when you look on the whole, all things considered, new manager, pretty pretty busy summer last summer, I don't think you can call it that unsuccessful of a season, particularly when you consider all of the highs and lows. Um, to finish fifth, I don't think is necessarily that bad. If you would have asked a, Ro- a Roma supporter last summer, hey, you're, you're going to finish fifth, you're going to going to crash out of the Europa League quarterfinals. You're going to crash out of the Coppa Italia. Would you take that? Probably 100% of them would say no. But having gone through it, I, I don't think – listen, if you go 1 through 20 through the city, uh, I think fifth, in my opinion, probably does justice for Roma. I would say, too, I think that you can – you know, make your make your 
point on this, uh, John, and I'm sure many other Roma fans probably feel a little bit more sour about the this season, despite a fifth place finish, which I thought, you know, was was pretty good considering some of the injuries they had in the beginning of the season. They had a really rough rough patch out of the break or the restart, shall I say, and then found a way to, with Zaniolo coming back, find that spark and finish in a respectable position. I think that what maybe makes it a little bit difficult is seeing Lazio get into Champions League. Right. Like, cause I think like that's, it's always something like for me as a, as a Milan fan and Martino probably can attest to this too. Like there's always something that's a little bit more difficult to take on the chin when you see like your rival, the, the team you hate the most kind of achieve what they want to achieve while you're kind of on the outside looking in. But I, I think the way I observe Roma right now is look, they're in a little bit of a transitional phase. You would probably agree with me on that in, in the sense that, yeah, new ownership, which we're going to get into. Um, the, the players, they're, they're trying to keep this, this, this group of players intact. You know, Dzeko, you have Pellegrini, Zaniolo. There's, there's quite a bit there, but there's still some holes for sure. I just think that at the end of the day, fifth place finish Europa League, having that, that group stage you know, qualification secured, having perhaps some of these sale sale things and the whole back and forth in the media kind of somewhat be in the thing be a thing in the past you hope that they can turn the corner get into the position where they don't need to be a team that's in um, constant restructuring right because that's always something that ten, people tend to focus with Roma is okay like they're making progressions but can they keep making that next step forward that's what people I think Roma fans want to see and they're they're eager to get that that sort of elevation up the table and get back to where they were a handful of years ago as a semifinalist and a team that was more or less a shoe in to be a top four team. But we also have to consider too, is the depth of Serie A clubs is a little bit more vast now. Atalanta, Lazio, Inter are back, Juve, Milan look like they're in a good position. You know, so you look at all the teams at Napoli that it's a little bit more depth deep than it's been in recent years. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I now listen. I don't think any of us would have predicted that Atalanta would come on to the to the degree in which they have. Right. I mean, usually Roma found themselves battling, you know, uh, Inter and, and Napoli for those second, third, and fourth places. Really, they mm-hmm. were essentially, for the most part, uncontested. But as you just alluded to, yeah, I, I would say the depth has definitely risen. Um, I I don't. You know, looking back on it all, again, I, I don't really think Roma can have a lot to complain about. Um, again, I, I genuinely do think, and whether they would admit it or not is, is an entirely different story, but this negotiation for the new ownership, um, it came out in the last week of October 2019. So essentially the entire season that this has been happening because the deal was mm-hmm. just finalized last Tuesday. So. I, I really do, because, I mean, do we remember what happened last season to uh, Fiorentina before uh, Rocco Comiso acquired them? I mean, they were lingering mm. down the bottom of the table. Final match day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were going through the same thing when the Dallavalle brothers, they, they said, okay, we're going to sell. Um, uh, for me, there's just too much evidence from the past to say that when you are a club for sale, you're going through this change of ownership whether whether the players want to admit it, whether the manager wants to admit it or not, I, I fully believe that it does have some effect on the pitch. And again, all season we heard, oh, we're not worried about that, blah, 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 blah. But I, I'm sorry. I just refuse to believe mm-hmm. that 
that that doesn't in some way affect your mentality. So um, it's unfortunate that the the negotiations took that long. I'm sure if you asked everybody involved, if they had to do it all over again, it, w- it probably would have been wrapped up a lot sooner. But yeah, I mean, when you consider everything, when you take everything on the whole, you consider all of the other, the, the rivals for these Champions League places as well. Um, I don't think it's that bad of a season, even though before the start of the season, if I would have told you the, the current outcomes of everything that would have happened there, I mean, you would have been furious. But right. having gone through the journey now, I, I, I really don't think Roma can, Roma, the supporters, can feel that, that hard done or cheated by this season because I, I think fifth is absolutely fair. Yeah. Um, look, even, even getting Zaniolo back, I think, post-COVID break is a massive thing. To just, you know, see him on the field, it, it, it kind of represents – metaphorically like a little bit of hope like things might be okay like we got his legs like that explosion i mean he's he's making those runs against juve scoring goals i think it was against sampdoria he had one of them i mean like just just to see that it's a huge it's it's a huge beacon beacon of of light and hope for for Mm -hmm. romanisti everywhere and that was something i wanted to to maybe get your opinion on john and uh, martino probably as well is if you had to guess pick your top three best players of the season for Roma, which has been, it was kind of a weird one because you had guys like Zaniolo who missed a substantial amount of time, but there was no question about it. When he was available and fit for Fonseca to play, he was a hugely influential player. And then I also want to get your, I guess, top three um, disappointing slash worst guys, the guys that you maybe expected a little bit more from that that just kind of failed to uh, deliver expectations. Um, let me start with the bad, just because they stick out a lot more. Uh, Paul Lopez, for sure. I think he's the first one that comes to mind uh, for a club like Great Roma. On him, yeah. yeah, to spend, um, I think, with bonuses, uh, which he he hit every single one of them. It it goes to a fee of like roughly 28 million euros. Yeah. It's um, And if you look at his save percentage, it becomes even frighteningly more depressing. For sure. I, I mean, I could think of at least three to four matches offhand where he made mistakes that you just think, wow. I mean, just consider Alisson was here a couple of seasons ago, and now and we Olsen find ourselves and then this. It's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, going through Robin Olsen, which I don't want to even discuss. Mirante then, maybe has been the best keeper for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then now to Paulo Lopez. Again, a, a club like Roma, for them to shell out uh, – 28 million, almost 30 million euros for a goalkeeper. I, I now from, from most, I, I say big in air quotes, but bigger clubs um, that may not seem like a lot, but for a club of Roma's means, that is, that is genuinely um, a, a frighteningly large, mm-hmm. substantial amount of money. And for them to pay that much and to get very little in return from him, I thought was incredibly disappointing other than being good with the ball at his feet he really doesn't offer much. I have never seen a goalkeeper so bad at misjudging penalties in my entire life. Um, I have never felt even remotely sure that he would ever save a penalty that he ever faced. Um, and then just the mental errors too. I mean, we, we saw it, I mean, most recently against Sevilla ball right through his legs. Um, the goal he conceded against Lazio in the Derby uh, to a Chatterby was something I don't think I've ever seen before in my entire life. So the the prospect of potentially having to find a new goalkeeper is a little a little daunting. Um, right behind him, though, shockingly not too far, I would say is Spinazzola. 
this is a guy that we can get into the whole fake accounting thing that they essentially um, gave an inflated price on Luca Pellegrini to Juventus, and then they pay an inflated price for Spinazzola in return. He was dreadful. Now, in fairness, he did get better when Roma switched to three at the back and he was asked to play a wing back. Um, I, I will defend him to a certain degree. I don't think he's a fullback in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he can defend even even at a steady B level. So he did improve when they went to three at the back, played as a, as a more attacking wing back. That's fine. But when he was asked to play at left back in place of an aging Kolodov, he was he was terrible. So I would say... Certainly for him, he, he would be up there. Um, and then another one that I think people will probably – actually, not probably. They will take issue with because they'll look at his assists and they'll say, oh, my gosh, what are you talking about, uh, is Lorenzo Pellegrini. Now, yes, he got a ton of assists. I realize that. But he has not shown the level of growth that I think since he came back from Sassuolo to the club. Um, yeah, the assists are great. But he really needs to start scoring. He's got, I believe, I, I would have to double check this, but I believe he scored only one goal in all of the city. Uh, and you just cannot have that from somebody who's playing in a number 10 role. You know, it just mm-hmm. can't happen. Um, he needs to score more. He, is, he, he tries to do too much with the ball at his feet in the final third. I wish he would just do the smart thing instead of the fancy thing. Um, I, I really think this upcoming season is make or break for him because. Um, most Roma supporters, especially if you're Roman, the tolerance for you being Roman is quite a bit further than that of somebody who is foreign or just from Italy, just elsewhere, not Rome. Um, and he is getting to a point where he really has to take that next step because if he, if he continues on this path, he's a mid-table player, and that's no offense to him at all. It's just that's not good enough for Roma. So I think without question, those three were probably the ones that would stick out most to me. You can pick out other names, but they didn't have nearly the role as those three. Right. Um, as for the best, though, I, I think that's pretty easy in my mind. I would say Jekko, Zaniolo, and Veritu. Um, Veritu, there are many, many who question that purchase. Without question, you could easily make the case that he was Roma's most important player because if you take him out and you add Brian Cristante into the team, it is literally like night and day because Cristante is terrible in just about every area of football. I can't think of one thing that he does well. Um, whereas even even if it wasn't Cristante, you put Pellegrini in the midfield, uh, Veritu, the engine that he has, he is the closest thing they've had to a peak Nangolan since Nangolan left. So I I think he was vitally important. Um, The transfer rumors about him worry me a bit. But, um, yeah, I I think without question, especially in the middle of the pitch, yeah, undoubtedly their best player. Dzeko, I I mean – Goes without saying, right? Yeah, it goes without saying, really. I guess more so it's it's worrying that they've had this guy. He's he's going to be 35 in March, I believe. (sighs) And they have had little to no success. Believe it or not, Nikola Kalinic this season is the most prominent um, backup striker that they've had since Dzeko arrived. So I don't know whether you laugh at that, whether you cry at that. But um, yeah, Kalinic had, I believe it was either five or six league goals, which is more than any other uh, vice Dzeko, as we call it, has had since he arrived at the club. So that's another thing that 
they will have to address at some point. But I, he's another guy that, for some reason, he gets a ton of stick. Even though if you remove him from the team, Roma, they they just don't it's score crazy. goals. I don't, I don't get that at all. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's just those expectations, man. If you don't get 20 to 25 goals as a main guy. That, yeah, but he like, does so many things I, of though, course as a leader, of as just a reference point. He like, falls as, under the yeah. Olivier Giroud kind of. Yeah, yeah, you know that's a I great mean? shout. Like, yeah, he, he does a ton of things well, hmm. and it, just because it doesn't pop up. He's on not like a gaudy goal time. producer where he's no. like – 25, on, 20 goals. I mean, he had that one season where <clears throat> he, he was right up right up in the conversation for Capocanieri, but even his first season, that, that was one of the biggest things I admired about Dzeko and his time at Roma so far is after year one, it was very difficult for him. And I think a lot of Roma fans, um, I, don't know, I don't know what camp you were in, John, but were trying to usher him maybe out the door. Like, what is this guy doing? He can't produce. We need something more. And rather than taking a move elsewhere to maybe go back to the Premier League, he was like, I want to prove myself at Roma. I'm, I'm Roma quality, and I think I could really help this team. And then since then, he's been just everything you could have want in a striker in terms of leadership, in terms of the um, you know the discipline, just the preparation. Like he's uh, one of those underrated strikers who I think once he retires, I think you're going to look back and he may not have the exact numbers, but that that stack up against some of the best of his generation. But 50 plus goals in what the Bundesliga the Premier League and Serie A and one of Roma's all-time top goal scorers. I mean, that's that's quite a resume for a player of his caliber. Yeah, I, I don't think Roma are anywhere near being able to replace him because I. this is how I try to explain it to people because they do get frustrated with him for the misses that he has. And and it's for me, it's like, okay, well, you know, you, you have to live with those because he's the only guy who can produce anything in terms of a goal. So you have to live when he wastes those chances. It, you know, it is what it is. But um, – I think other things like, uh, you know, his hold of play is completely underrated. But seriously, if you if, if you take over these five seasons, if you take his goals, like you, you just take the tally and you don't put the name, don't put Jekyll to it. You just put that number and you put it on the transfer market. I mean, we're looking at a, you know, depending on age, 50, 60, 70, 80 million euro player. And Roma got him for under 20 million euros. I, I can't express enough, and, and I, I know it probably sounds like I'm sucking up to him, but Roma literally hit like the transfer window, transfer market lottery when they got him because he was at the perfect age. Um, they didn't pay a lot for him. They got a guy who was extremely motivated in his late 20s, and he's produced. And you just said after that first season, I, I'm sure there's a YouTube compilation out there from his first season. I mean, we're talking about some of the worst misses that you will ever see. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that only – had it not been for uh, Gagliardini of Inter this past season, Jekyll's miss against Palermo would still be the worst I have ever seen in my entire life. But, um, yeah, for him to – after that first season to, to stick with it, get Capo Cagnieri, I, I think a lot of that has to do with some of the pieces that were around him at the time. But nonetheless, yeah, I, they – I, I seriously, uh, you know, I, I wake up in the middle of the night in sweat thinking how they're going to replace them because this is a club, again, they, 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 they just can't spend 50, 60 million euros on a player. They, they don't have the means. They just like don't. cement money. Like, they, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And to get that level of goal return, that is what most of these big clubs are paying. And Roma, again, if you just put his tally – on the open market, they would do that. They would do that deal 100 times out of 100. And I'm sure if you look throughout the city, I'm sure every other club would have done the same thing too. So I, it, it's just so weird how 
one of the most prominent goal scorers in all of Roma's history is just so um, almost disregarded at times. It's, it's baffling. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I guess that's probably the one player that you could just sum up of like, they were like, oh, how would you describe Roma fans? Just at, t- tell him about Ian Dzeko. Just say, like, bring up his name and then just see what they say. And right, you get a right. pretty good barometer of what the fans are like. But we'll bring up something less stressful for you. Uh, Roma sale. Um, <laughs> obviously, we know you've been reporting on this. You, you were fantastic with it. Uh, I know Thank I you. gave you compliments on Twitter. I, I think you deserve more praise because I know how, how stressful it must be because – you know, even seeing it like as a Mets fan, like over here, like it, this is, and you talked about it, this was going back to 2019. Like this is a sale of a club takes months and it's not something that, you know, gets completed in a few weeks. This is something that takes time, due diligence. Uh, there's prices that have to be negotiated. Like uh, there's so many inner working uh, details going along in the sale. And from one American to another, Pelota to freaking, I mean, give us, I don't know, like, I, because I don't want you to give us too much. You might not be able to tell us uh, as much as you can, but what, what were, how did this kind of go down? What was like the timeline? Like, did it take too long? How did COVID impact this? Was it almost not going to happen because of COVID? Like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, the, the, the timing of it all is just insane when you look at it on, you know, in its entirety. So, my good friends, Filippo Biafora, Alessandro Alstini of Il Tempo, they're the ones who broke it. They, they got a hold in mid-October, a hold of this, um, this I, I guess you would just call it a, an investor packet that um, Goldman Sachs was sending out to people um, because I think Palata knew last summer that his time was essentially up. His, his partners, they were telling him they want to get out, um, spending too much money, they're not making enough. Um, so yeah, late October, uh, Roma, they begin negotiations with the freaking group December. They agree to a base price for the next two months. They do due diligence members of the freaking group. They come to Rome in the first week of February. They meet with the club. They meet with sporting directors, media people, um, just basically getting their initial face to face. A month and a half, not even a month and a half, one month later, the 5th of March, because I still have nightmares about it, um, deal is done, okay? It is finished, complete. They meet in New York, um, freaking lawyers, and then they meet with DLA Piper, who is the law firm that Palato was using in America to finish the negotiations. It, it It's very complicated. Um, sure a lot of you guys know that Roma they're a publicly traded company in in Italy so it's very complicated the inner workings of the club Roma consists of over a dozen different companies and subsidiaries some of them are they're um they're in America the others uh like Neep holding company they're registered in Italy so it's a very complicated affair you have three or four different law firms involved in this entire thing you have Studio Tonucci, Studio Giomenti in Italy, and then you have DLA Piper here, and then you have Dan Freakins guys, and yeah, with that many lawyers involved, you can imagine why things take a lot of time, but yeah, so going back to the timeline, 5th of March, everything is agreed upon, um, 
And then that is ironically the weekend where everything in the city Oz, we all remember, just goes insane. Some of the matches are played, other matches are not. And in sort of in line with that, they decide not to not to finalize the deal. And I say finalize in the in the sense of after you agree to this deal with Roma, they have to tell a body called C-O-N-S-O-B, CONSOB, who is like the oversight of the uh, Borsa Italiana, the Italian stock market. Um, so basically what Roma had to do, you agree to a deal, you tell CONSOB, CONSOB, um, they make sure everything is in line, and then the, the Italian stock market can announce IS Roma has been sold. So... I know that's very complicated, but when the COVID broke out, essentially they had the deal done. They had the communication ready for CONSOB. Both of the parties, both Palotta's men and Friedkin's men, they said, stop CONSOB. Don't give that to the Italian stock market. We are waiting. Um, everything was done. If I, I, I am not exaggerating when I say if this whole outbreak in Italy and within the league, if it had been... 72 hours later, this deal would have been announced and it would have been done in March. Um, Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And from March until July, we go from this back and forth. Palotta is giving interviews, more or less insulting Friedkin, saying, well, if he had the money, he would have gotten a deal done by now. And Friedkin, at one point, they were going to pull out. This was in June. But... um, Ryan Friedkin, who is the son of Dan Friedkin, who is the CEO of the Friedkin Group, has sort of been the catalyst behind this entire thing. He was pushing his his father to continue with negotiations. Let's get a deal done. And then uh, last Tuesday is when they finally found the agreement. The club announced it. It happened in the uh, in the evening in, uh, in America and. Yeah, it's been almost a year, and I think everybody is going to breathe a sigh of relief because Palotta, his partners, they had to get it done. They didn't have any choice. Um, they they slyly announced um, in the in June that they were only promising to fund the club until the end of the year. So had they, had they not found an agreement with a buyer, uh, I don't even want to imagine what would have happened. We're talking. I don't know, probably Roma starting from like the amateur level. It could have been very, very ugly. There were plenty of reasons for Palotta to sell. Again, he had his partner, Starwood Capital. They were telling him, we're, we're, we're done with Roma. We don't want to do this anymore. And they, you know, his hand was essentially forced. Palotta did not want to sell. It was his, his group that essentially forced him into it. So it's been very long. Again, I have no doubt that this affected the season in a negative standpoint. But uh, finally, after nearly 10 months, uh, Dan Freakin is arriving. He will arrive. um, Him and his legal advisors, they will touch down in London on Sunday. They will do the first part of the closing in London, and then they'll fly over to Rome to do the last part. And that'll be that. Uh, Next Monday, uh, Dan Freakin will be the new president of Roma, which – it's difficult to know what they have in store, but it's certainly exciting because I think Palotta, and I'm sure you guys would probably even agree with this. He like the time worn out done. as welcome. Oh yeah, I mean, just it was over. There, there yeah. was uh, this was a guy who had not even visited Rome 
for two years. The last time he was in Rome was after um, uh, Roma. They defeated Barcelona and yeah. jumped into and the, the fountain. fountain. Yeah. Yeah, that was literally the last time he was there. That's crazy. Um, and if Crow has been there more often, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you – and to a certain extent, I, I kind of do sympathize with him because if you just look at his replies on Twitter to anything he says, I mean, it's it's abundantly clear where where the supporters are with him. I mean, it doesn't take a genius. You don't even have to speak Italian <laughs> or English. Yeah, the ratio is it tells all. Yeah, he – oh, that poor guy gets ratioed <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, but it was time. It, it was – you know, he, he will not be looked upon fondly by, I would say, the majority of Roma supporters. But I, in fairness, I, I don't think that's entirely fair because I, I, I don't – a lot of what he did – Friedkin is walking into a much better situation, significantly better situation – than what Palotta walked into. It's, it's night and day. It's not even fair to compare. Uh, Palotta was behind the eight ball from the minute he walked into the club. Roma, they didn't even own the land to their training ground. Roma TV, I, older Roma supporters will remember this, but their website was, uh, you know, looked like it was made, you know, via Windows 95. It was terrible. So he's done a lot of little things. And I, I, I think the perfect way to describe him is, is sort of like that bridge, um, he was never going to win anything big, but I do think he can be the bridge to the next owner that can potentially do something. We'll have to see. But yeah, I, I didn't think anything big was ever going to happen with Palata. I, I, I really didn't. Now with with Friedkin, um, what do you what are, what are your expectations for the now Friedkin type project moving forward? Obviously, there's the quick turnaround with the season. There's a lot of reshuffling that's needed within the squad. Players need to get you know, shipped out. Another additional group of players need to come in to make sure that Roma meet their objectives for next year. We all have been monitoring Roma's financial situation over the past handful of years with regards to financial fair play, getting that sorted out, and being able to keep and retain their their top players. You know, Desaniolos, who's been in, in talks with you know moves for you know, all these sorts of clubs. He's a player that you and I and everyone who likes Italian football, wants to keep domestically, keeps them in Italy. But I guess if, if you're, if you have the Roma fans listening to this right now, or just someone with, with a vested interest in Calcio and the Giallo Rossi moving forward, what do you think fans should expect under his ownership? I don't think you're going to see, obviously, the extravagant spending that you would see from a Juve, you know, PSG, Manchester City. I think Friedkin will live and die by the Stadio della Roma. This was the, I don't know, the, the, the jewel of Palotta's eye that he was never able to grab hold of. This is a, it, it more so speaks to Italy, the farce that oh, it takes. Milan, Milan the red, fans the red tape of everything. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I, I guess and I can just, having, having been originally from Italy, and now living here, um, just seeing the differences, it, 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 I can't explain it enough, and I cannot reiterate it enough, that the bureaucracy that you encounter over there is some of the most absurd stuff that you, you can't even make it up. I kid you not, there was an environmental group that tried to stop the Stadio della Roma from being built because of a certain species of frog that was near a bayou where they want to build a stadium. And it, that, that sounds funny. Like you, you would think it's almost comical. Like it, this has to be a joke, right? No, it, it's, it's laughable. The amount of red tape, 
this was a project that hasn't even gotten a shovel in the ground and they have been working on it since 2014. So this was something that Palalta tried very hard for. I think he made some mistakes along the way. Um, he, he had a falling out with somebody named Mark Panis, who was a former CEO of Roma. Um, I believe he spent some time in uh, the Vancouver and MLS. Someone who was very instrumental in the Stadio del Roma planning. And I think it would have been built by now had Panis still been at the club. Um, but Friedkin is going to live or die by this stadium because it, it is – it is such a game changer. I mean, we, we all know here what the, you know, the fiscal um, advantages that Juve has right now, a lot of that has to do with the branding, obviously, but another part of that is owning the, owning their own stadium. And this is, this is something they have to get done. And it's very close to getting final approval. I feel like I've said that a dozen different times, but this time it actually is a case. Um, I, I would assume, or I, I expect the final approval to come within the next few weeks. It's a good thing that Rome Mayor Virginia Raji, she just announced she's going to be running for a third term, which is very, which none of us expected. We thought there would be more delays because, again, this is all political nonsense that I don't even care about. So I don't expect anybody listening to care about, but. Um, her party, um, M5S, they, they have um, Movimento Cinque Stella. They have a two-term limit for everybody in their party. So the fact she announced that she's running for a third term as the mayor of Rome is a great thing. There's going to be continuity in that regard. I do think within the next few weeks we'll see the final approval, but I can't reiterate enough how much the stadium is going to make or break freaking. If they get it done, if they get it built – I genuinely think that that alters the entire um, the entire future of the club. Maybe you can now hold on to somebody like Zaniolo. Maybe you don't have to. Now, we don't know where financial fair play is going to factor into this because it's been delayed for this upcoming season. Right. And then we also know that when you have a new ownership group, usually UEFA allows you 365 days to get everything in order, sort of like a, um, a grace period, I guess you would call yeah. it. So I don't know if they're going to be awarded a, a two-year grace period on top yeah. of this upcoming season. I don't know what the case is going to be because the Roma's accounts right now are extremely ugly. So um, I do think the stadium will get done. So based upon my assumption that the stadium gets done, I think you're going to see a much more a much more motivated group. I think you're going to see a group that doesn't – listen, to Roma, they were big about – building it was very weird they were big about building these talents selling them and getting new talents in and just sort of doing this whole you know life cycle of getting young players selling them similar to a little bit to Milan a little bit yeah yeah and they they I and in fairness they did have reason to be proud of that because they did it very very well pretty much up until the uh, guy who I won't name who's now (laughs) back at Sevilla um, pretty much until he arrived they did it extremely well the list um, of players is crazy if you actually go through all of them. Oh, it's astonishing. But I, think, I think if if you're Roma, you, you know, I, I, I totally agree with, with, with Freakin. He could be, his legacy could be judged strictly on, one, the financial aspect, the standing of the, of, of the club. Where are they at moving forward? Can they make that, get over that hurdle of being a team that is you know, viewed optically within Italy and outside Italy is a team that does sell its best players each and every summer. If they can be in a more healthier financial position and he can deliver on a stadium, 
I think Roma fans would take that. Obviously, you want to have the results on the pitch. That's what it comes down to. But these are two things that I think have been haunting Roma and Romaniski for, for quite some time. So I think that's what the, the hope and the aim is under Freakin is to, to get them past that and into a more healthier, more, uh, to your point, motivated position to, to, to press on and really to be a team that really moves up the table and becomes a power again. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, nobody is going to be okay with just the same old operating as they did under Palata. No, nobody will be comfortable with that. So I think, again, I think Palata was sort of the bridge, and I think now this is the next step. Um, I think, or not think, I know that at least in one aspect that I think we're going to see a big change is, again, I mentioned Palata hadn't been in Rome since 2018. Ryan Freakin, I already know, already purchased a home in Rome. Um, Somebody told me he's even applying for citizenship in the EU. So... We're going to see a more much, involvement. Yeah, a, a much a clubs, more a club's owner, like 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 a like a comiso type. That's we've seen so far, just like very involved in like the fan culture, what the fans are doing. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and maybe you guys disagree, but I I do think when you look at Juve and you see Ag, uh, Agnelli sitting yeah. there next to Nedved, next to Paratici, I think that 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 says something. Whether it's showing up matters. Yeah. Again, whether you buy it or not, I, I do think from a pure perspective standpoint, that does matter. I, I, I do. Um, and having an owner, again, that hadn't been in the country that the club plays in for over two years, that, that's just unacceptable. I See, the thing about that, too, is when things are going south like they were, it seemed like almost every single year that things were getting worse. And I won't mention his name out of respect for you. Cause yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah, to uh, well, <laughs> uh, bring probably, him up. Yeah, but, he'll, pro- but, he'll tweet search his name. So <laughs> then he'll... But the whole vibe was completely different from them, right? Like you, if you really look back at the table, I know like sometimes it's a little lazy to kind of like look back at tables, like even this year with Inter, right? We see one point off, but in reality, they weren't that close to you right? like when you look back on it like you're right like Roma was right there it was Napoli was there as, as well like they were competing they had great players coming through here and then they kind of like all disappeared and now it's just in this transitional phase so we'll, we'll get into the questions um because there's there's quite a few um and they're all like kind of pertaining to the same thing in the direction and you've touched on that like how about Totti right we've we've heard about someone like he's he's an icon there isn't anywhere in any sport and we follow a lot of american sports over here right like football basketball baseball i'm sorry there there is still nothing that comes close to like what he means to that club and to have him leave up in arms and look he's not the only one right we see a little bit of that with the rossi like you it it's it's telling that he left to argentina that's all i gotta say right um like, is that uh, something that's like a priority on Freakin's list? Like, you got to mend that relationship there because it shows you're in, working in good faith, not only like showing up every single day. It's mending the relationship with, with, with the club's most important player in its history that, okay, things aren't going to be like what they were these past few years. We're going to fix these relationships. It's a whole new vibe. This isn't like your your typical Roma that we've had because at the end of the day, too, like I like to poke jokes uh, at Roma, but like there, there hasn't been a trophy either. 
for a while now. Like at least like yeah. kind of like though like I feel like Coppa Italia at least and fixing the relationship with Totti. Like I feel like that's something that might have to be done within the first I don't know twenty eight to thirty six months or, or so. Yeah, I I definitely think that they're going to try and make nice and sort of right the wrongs of the last few years. Now the trophy thing is is unacceptable again now i'm on record as saying for me okay roma win the coppa italia that is not really going to change my perspective on sure roma um, and they've done that a bunch of times right yeah i mean i believe they're they're still second only behind juve for the coppa italia and and it's not that oh you know um roma they're too good for the coppa italia They've won the Copa Italia plenty. That hasn't changed the perspective. That that hasn't changed anything. It, it's mm-hmm. still the same old. So okay, you win the Copa Italia, and and what? Okay, we're, we're you know we're still finishing third, fourth, fifth, sixth. For me, that's not enough. That that yeah. that that that's not the mentality that they need. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly, though. Um, you know the thing with Talti, you know, it, could it have ended better? Sure. Obviously, it didn't help that you had Luciano Spalletti at the club and those two don't get yeah. along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think people underestimate the ego that Francesco Totti has. Um, this is a guy who, you know, he, he gives interviews, you know, every other week and we have to hear about, oh, did you know one time I turned down Real Madrid to stay at Roma? It's like, okay, you know, you know, we get it. We, yeah. you know, <laughs> We've heard that it's, like Inter, it's like Inter talking about their trouble. Like, we get it, guys. You did it. Yeah, you know, it's like we've heard about this for the past 12 years. Totti, you know, thank you. <laughs> Certainly, we appreciate it. But, you know, it's like, you know, we got to move on now. And it, it's kind of like that thing where he sort of like holds it over your head to make you feel guilty. Yeah. I mean, he still gives interviews where he says, if it was up to me, I would still be playing. Um, what is he? I, I have to Google it, but I think he's, he's probably like 44. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. 43 yeah. going on 44. It's like, oh, well, no, you wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe MLS or something, but you know, not, you know, that that's kind of why like Roma still have this like meme sort of vibe to them at times, because it's like, mm. well, no, you, you can't be serious and think that Francesco Totti at 43 years old can, you know, still be playing. That's ridiculous. Now the thing with Dorossi is completely different handled yeah. i've never seen anything handled so poorly at the club in my entire life um speaks volumes yeah i mean a lot of it has to do with you know this happens when the the club is going through this very awkward period you have monchi leaving you have eusebio di francesco leaving you have claudio ranieri coming in mm. and it was just sort of like the perfect you know like the perfect storm of circumstances yeah. But, again, this is where you're going to see the difference. You have James Palotta just sitting, uh, you know, going in between his villa in Boston, New York, and Miami. It's like, you know, come on, hop on a private flight. You're here in eight hours. You clear things up, and that's that. They handle that so poorly. And that is one thing. At minimum, trophies, transfers, put all that aside. You're at least going to see a more professionally run club. You're going to see a much more organized club, which – as as you know elementary of a you know thing that may sound like that is something Roma desperately need because I I, I cannot underestimate that I, I cannot say enough that Palotta just these last two years you said it right I mean they go to a Champions League semifinal they were yeah. you know one goal away from the final um you know if you look at the refereeing maybe they should have been the <laughs> final but um I mean, that felt like it could have been the springboard, you know, to the next step. Um, in all reality, 
two years later that you know that was the beginning of the end and yeah. it, it's it is so fitting that roma it's it's such a roma thing that they 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 make it this far in the competition and it feels like okay here we go you know what next year you do better you know yeah, build uh, off of it, and it's just build like, off of it. Yeah, like three step backs. It it was like a five foot, like you know, five step leap, and then he took like eight steps back, and it's just kind of like <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's I yeah. understand the frustration. I get it. Yeah, I mean, sixty days later, you're selling the best goalkeeper that has ever stepped foot into the Italian capital for seventy million euros, and you're replacing him with a guy that. <laughs> I mean, even the keeper before that too. You had a great keeper. And Chesney was playing great. Chesney, yeah. I, I mean, Chesney and Ali Son, those, those three seasons um, were better than the last two decades, even when Roma won the Scudetto in 2001. Uh, they had never seen a streak of goalkeeping like that. And look at, I mean, just look at where they are now. They're, they're chasing it. So we got, a, we got a couple of questions before we have to head out of here. I know it's, uh, it's, it's such a great topic, so we don't care. We control what's going on here. <laughs> um so there's just a couple of things heading into next season. You know, the transfer market is, I, I, I don't even think it's worth bringing up a sale as on Yolo. I think there's 0% chance to like, we're Zero. talking about yeah, how, how they're trying to mend the relationship. Selling on Yolo would just, you know, ruin all of that. So obviously that's out of the question in my opinion. Um, and you just confirmed it. So um, there's been a name that's been floating around. Um, one of the more talented players, uh, who I was a big fan of when he was at Napoli. He obviously joined Roma for this season with the Manolasa deal. He was involved in that. Diawara and, and the name coming back up is a former star in Serie A, and that's Lucas Torreira. Uh, Matt's a huge fan of him. Uh, he's written a ton of work about him all the time. He's oh, yeah. A great, he's a great player. Um, any truth to this potential swap with Arsenal, or is it something separate deal with money might be involved or – yeah, so he tweeted about it. But. Yeah, this is one I can speak to really, really um, confidently, just because um, Diawara he has an agent and a lawyer who work together in his entourage, and I am extremely close to his lawyer, just because, uh, like me, he and I both spend time between Italy. We spend half the year in Italy, half the year in America. Um, I know him really well. Uh, yeah, there's nothing in it right now. Uh, could it, it, it let me put it this way if somebody came to Roma and they said we will give you I don't know um 25 30 million euros for Diawara they would probably do it but nobody yeah. has done that um Torreira this is a guy that they've liked for a number of years um but the only way I see that happening is if they sell Vera too and I think they would be extremely foolish to consider selling Vera too but um, Veritu's agent is a guy who lives in Naples, very, 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 very close <laughs> without Aregio Di Laurentiis. Um, could it happen? Sure, especially if Napoli sell Alan. Uh, but no, I, I, don't, I don't think it will happen. Um, Fonseca loves Diawara. And I just, yeah, it, it, I could see Torreira come if they sold Veritu. But I, at this moment, at this very moment, I don't see it happening. Now, this is me just assuming because Romas don't have a sporting director right now. The, the sporting director was fired in June. Um, and the one handling all of the transfers is their CEO, Guido Fienga, and a bunch of agents and intermediaries. So do I think it happens? No. Um, but no, right now, this very moment, there's nothing in it. 
But I add the caveat that these transfers change like by, you know, something could change within the hour. Um, that's the yeah. thing I love about Twitter, where if you say something, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, if something within the deal changes a couple hours later, you look like an imbecile. It's like, no, these transfers really are fluid. Um, but no, yeah, at this very moment, nothing in it. They, in fact, um, Diawara, his, his agent and lawyer, they haven't even met with Roma for a number of months. So no. Yeah, this this swap when I saw this kind of come across uh, social media, I was looking at myself like Diawara is a player I've I've liked for for a while. When he was at Bologna, I thought he was a, a rising star in terms of his you know his his potential, and I think he had a really good season at San Marino before he even went to Bologna, where he yes. kind of started to get on the or the main the main uh, main map uh, in Italy. And then I, I looked at, it, I was like, he's going to Napoli. Like this is a good opportunity for him. He's had some great performances in the Champions League against Real Madrid, Madrid. specifically oh God, yeah. and then obviously you know my fatuation with with Torreira he's a player that you know I was it, it, happy for it to go to Arsenal a big club in, in England get get paid really well get a good opportunity to kind of get out in there in the more mainstream and see what, what Calcio has to offer in terms of young talents because his rise to that move was was very impressive you know coming from Pescara then going to Sampdoria being a standout player for them under Marco Giampaolo in that midfield but yeah, this this is one of those swap deals where I, I'm somewhat jealous. Like a couple, like year old, a few years older, a few years younger. Matt was looking at this like, man, Diawara Torreira. Like I'd like one of them. So, yeah, I I don't know if it's gonna happen. I don't myself look at it. Just it, I don't know if it's gonna be something that Roma w- wants to do because as you mentioned, Diawara was probably next to Veratu, probably they're more influential more impactful midfielder i thought he looked really sharp at times and he showed some maturity in, in you know, operating at the base of that midfield yeah i you know admittedly and just because i'm close with his entourage um i'm i'm a huge diawara fanboy for a while now um just a little background because i know you two are milan fans um roma in 2016 they had a deal already in place with Diawara from Bologna. They could have brought him. And what they had to do was sell Pettides, Leandro Pettides, who's now at PSG somehow. You know how you feel about him, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that <laughs> happened, who he fooled. Most of, yeah, his vines must still be creeping around somewhere. Um, Roma had a deal with Milan for him for, for 25 million euros. They were going to sell Pettides to Milan for 25 million euros. I remember then, that actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then they were going to close the deal for Diawara and all Walter Sabatini had to do was just say yes. Um, but for some reason he liked Pettides more. Uh, and yeah, I guess the rest is history. I still maintain Diawara should have been at Roma for the past few seasons, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just weird how, how things happen sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, this this one, <laughs> I don't know. This one just made me laugh. But we got to get to the questions. This is from Boondock Faint. He has any truth of uh, Pochettino to Roma? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> this is a great one. Considering I don't think Roma have paid a single manager over two and a half million euros um, for the past decade. Um, Pochettino earned nine million euros with Spurs. Spurs. Yeah. So uh, Paolo Fonseca is on one and a half with bonus. He's upwards of 2 million euros net. Uh, I'm going to go with no unless Friedkin <laughs> came, came into some money that I just just don't know don't, about. I mean, they're main... some Bitcoin money somehow. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're big into Bitcoin as you just alluded to. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, their main industries are automobile, 
and entertainment and uh, real estate. And I can't think of any three industries <laughs> hurt worse <laughs> by COVID. So yeah. Uh, yeah, unless they're doing something under the table, I, just, I really do not see it at all. No. Hey, hey you never know. Um, well, anyways, um, the last one that we'll get to here, um, because we're really going over time now, this is from uh, Jeff518. He asks, what is your one bold prediction next season for Roma? On or off the field? I guess it could be a transfer or league table prediction or how far do they go in the Europa League? Mm. Whatever whatever your bold prediction is. My bold prediction is they win a trophy. I don't know what it is, but a trophy. Okay. All right. Which is very bold considering if if you look at the timeline. What kind of tweet would we be expecting from Palota if Freakin's first year he gets a trophy? Oh, God. Well, did you guys see his one about Comiso the other day? Yes, um, I responded to I it. I said, Jim, you did not so, win a trophy in your entire uh, so I would imagine it's something along the lines of that. Just very bitter and very angry. Um, I would assume it would probably be in all caps, too, because um, yeah. Jim is a boomer. So... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he would leave his caps lock on and with several exclamation points, but I, I assume it. it would be akin to the tweet that we saw the other day where he was very angry at, uh, at Comiso for some reason. Yes. You can yeah. see it being like that, 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 that weird SpongeBob meme where it's like Squidward's like in his house and he oh, sees yeah. a Patrick and SpongeBob like, like <laughs> yeah. running around, like having yeah. fun. Like, That's a great metaphor. Like yeah. Roma fan yeah. and, like, I could be Friedkin, like Yeah, happy. exactly. Yeah. It's just the Roma fans are Patrick and, and freaking SpongeBob. <laughs> and then you get Polota in the window. And then, uh, I, yeah. So, I mean, look, it would, um, it'd be great. I, I, I do want to see Roma eventually win the trophy. And I, I know some people might, think i'm odd for saying that as a milan fan but you know i gotta see no no happy i mean it's been i don't know what i was like a little kid last time i saw that so i would uh, i would like to see it i think the fan base deserves it after everything that's happened um yeah so john thank you so much for coming on Um, absolutely it was fantastic it was a great chat all the information is absolutely unbelievable um you do a great job um obviously with as roma press uh Feel free to plug uh, anything and everything that you have, social media-wise and work-wise. Oh, RomaPress.net. That's it. Um, these next few days are going to be crazy with, with freaking arriving in London and Rome. And, yeah, just very, very busy. But, uh, yeah, thank you. I, I was glad to do this. I hope we do it again soon. Yeah, and then you got that also, that podcast, too. So it's it feels great having that mutual connection here to podcast to podcast, having you yes, on, John. It's been, it's been great. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to get you two on mine just to when Roma faced Milan just to yeah. drown our sorrows. <laughs> Why not? And we'll have you back on here when Roma wins that trophy. And we could even call uh, Jimmy if you want to. Uh, oh. See how that goes. Well, it might have to be separate interviews if he knows I'm on. But oh, we'll oh, see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll see for sure. Well, um, anything else, guys, before we head on out here that we missed or we're all good? No, that's I'm all, right. I'm all set. Like I said, it's great to have John on, and make sure you guys are supporting him wherever he's uh, he's located because he does truly the best work, in my opinion, for 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 Roma and what they're what they're currently doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank can't you, guys. Be, can't be disputed. You're welcome once again. Everybody else, listen to the end of the podcast. All right, Matt, that was another great interview uh, with John. Um, just amazing information as always. No one's just tied into that club um, that I personally know. So thank you again for John to coming on and uh, 
giving us all these juicy tidbits about the whole uh, situation that went down with Roma's ownership. So, I mean, again, it all hinges on the stadium. I saw my family this weekend. They were like, how'd, how'd it go? How'd it go? Like, are, are they going to be spending a lot? Like, good. And I'm like, just be patient and wait for this interview to come out. And then you could hear, you could hear everything about it. But um, yeah, exciting times for Roma fans and we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, yeah. It's just time to plug ourselves then. Right. Of course. So you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the pod on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a great review, you know, tell your friends about us and yeah. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we have more content coming out for that. I know when I speak for Martino, Pet, and myself like that, we really do appreciate the support you've given us in this journey, and we definitely look forward to putting out more content in the, uh, in the near future. Yeah, definitely look out for another video releasing this week with Harry and Pet. That should be um, exciting for you guys all to view. Obviously, all the past episodes we've done in future episodes. Champions League is right around the corner. Lagoon is starting back up on August 22nd as well. So really thank you guys all for the support. Um, you could just follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Um, just about like 50 something followers away from the big 1K that I've been uh, waiting forever to get to. So keep on uh, pressing that follow button if you haven't already. You could obviously follow Pet at Pet Barisha as well. Um, thank you guys all so much for the support. And we we're so excited to get ready for uh, this next season of football as a uh, bunch of teams are just getting back into training. So for now, listen to some Joaquin. Mm-hmm.